it's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game. This is the Prospects Baseball Show, your inside look at the boys and girls of summer. Here's your hosts, Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on uh, when it is you are listening to the Prospects Baseball Show. All we care about is that you are. Thank you very much for downloading episode 21. My name is Dean Millard, and uh, we have the head coach and the AGM of the Edmonton Prospects, Jordan Blundell, in studio. Um, It almost felt like summer one day last week, and then the cold (laughs) snap uh, reminded us that our days of uh, going outside in shorts, and I did wear shorts when it was 10 degrees, uh, they're soon to be over. Yeah, they, uh, yeah. it was weird because I had my, my long johns on early in the morning, went to work, you know, it was kind of chilly in the morning, and then by the late afternoon, I was kind of stripped down in the car, I had yeah. to turn the heater off, get the windows open, I was sweating. Uh, classic late fall for us here. Hopefully, hopefully, I think next week is showing a little bit more sun. So yeah, it, it's not bad because uh, you know we we talked with uh, uh, the the Edmonton uh, collegiate uh, prospect team uh, or, or the, uh, the, trappers, the trappers. Sorry, yeah. um, and you know they need some nice weather. Yeah. Well, they 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 played a weekend set here against the Dinos and they took three of four. And, Good job. Um, yeah, you know they they want you want to try and extend the on field as long as you can. Obviously, in the climate that we're in, and and hopefully they'll get to do that. Looks like this week they'll get to do that again. Uh, but but playing in, in tough weather is part of the game. Um, as we saw two nights ago in, in St. Louis, it, mm-hmm. you know it was a right around early forties, high thirties, which you know thirty two is zero for us up here. So. Uh, they were playing in some cold weather, and you know, frankly, I, I like a lot of the U.S. When you go down to play school, um, you're playing in some tough weather. Uh, not everywhere is like Florida and, and California. You know, most of the U.S. you're playing in some tough weather early in the spring, and even kind of getting into late spring, and then you you get a, a horrible day, and then you get a really great day, and it's you know 70 degrees and sunny, and it feels awesome. Uh, but you're playing in some you know in the u.s some high 30s low 40s quite a bit with some wind and you know possible weather and uh, just part of the game well especially in the mid-east there um uh, you were going to talk to our uh, guest today cody Anderchuk, who is the head coach of the lindsey wilson blue raiders in columbia kentucky and uh for 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 whatever reason i always pictured kentucky uh as like the alabama uh, Tennessee, Georgia area. I, I really didn't realize until uh, we got set to uh, speak with Cody today. You know how close Kentucky is to um, the north, the east. Like it's uh, it's right in the smack of the mid east. So I'm sure their weather isn't always uh, balmy. So Cody Andrechuk is going to join us on the program today, as mentioned from the Blue Raiders, Lindsey Wilson College. We're going to chat with him about college life and also the relationship uh, between. Uh, colleges in the United States and leagues like the Western Canadian Baseball League and the Edmonton Prospects. We'll also get an update from Jordan in just a second about the any kind of update. He gave us a, a glimmer of hope on Friday about what's going on at Remax Field. We'll obviously update Major League Baseball playoffs. Crazy game a Sunday night between the Yankees and the Astros. And today's top five, top five Canadian 
baseball players. <laughs> I had to point that out on Twitter a couple of times because we were getting Barry Bonds, Tony Gwynn, and I'm like, uh, do those guys have Canadian passports? Because <laughs> I did not think Barry Bonds had a Canadian passport. So top five Canadians, and uh, of course we want you to uh, get in the game with us uh, on social media. Twitter, you can reach us at Prospects Pod. You can get Jordan at Jordan Blundell 4. You can find me at Duck Millar. And for all the team news, it's at EDM Prospects. On Instagram, you can find us at Prospects Baseball Show. Facebook, same thing, Prospects Baseball Show. You can email us, Prospects Baseball Show at gmail.com. And you can check out the website, prospectsbaseballshow.ca. Of course, all the latest news, ticket information, roster, schedule, whenever that is uh, sorted out, hopefully it will be, you can check out prospectsbaseballclub.com. All right, let's go around the horn. Hey, bada, 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 so win, bada. Got him looking at the curveball. Let's go around the horn and get the big news in baseball. All right, um, it is uh, time for you to, uh, you gave us uh, an interesting glimmer of hope on Friday night, or on Friday when you joined me on uh, Sports and More Live. So tell us a little bit, and, and for anybody that missed it, what is the, the latest news uh, with the Edmonton Prospects and Remax Field, and uh, is there an end in sight, do you think? Because you guys got to get going here. Yeah, I think uh, I think there is an end in sight. Um, I don't know <laughs> what that date is. Um, we're we're still working through the, the last few things. You know, like we're in negotiations with the city right now, um, and, and um, in, in my opinion, I think we, that's progressed here, um, and it, and it looks positive for us. Um, positive to the point that that. You know, I, I've been doing recruiting and doing some of those things. Um, you know, we haven't signed anyone because of uh, the timeline that we're on here. But, you know, we've taken some conversations down uh, down the line to the point where, um, you know, when, when and if we get an announcement that's uh, positive for, for our future at REMAX Field, we'll, we'll get some contracts out pretty quickly just thereafter. So um, we're in that we're in that uh, a little bit of a holding pattern, but we are in negotiations with the city. Uh, w- would love, obviously, to be able to announce something. Um, you know, I think we're closer to that, Dino. Uh, you know, you know, the best case scenario would be you know next week we get to do something uh, special on the show. I, you know, I don't know what that timeline is. I I know we've we've worked really hard uh, to present and and negotiate you know fairly with the city and. Um, you know, same, same for them. You know, they've got some things that they need to take care of as well. And, and yeah, I think it looks positive. I think we're close. Good. That's awesome. Um, okay. So before we get to the playoffs, then let's talk about your, you know, okay. Normal off season. What would you be doing right now compared to what you are doing right now? You know, I think, uh, the, my recruiting, um, you know, I've been basically working on this since since we were done, you know, took a little bit of time off there in August, uh, but, but started reaching out fairly early. Um, you know, obviously our goals were to, to get a long-term lease and, you know, frankly, regardless of the lease, I still needed to begin conversations. You know, if I were starting today, 
I'd be behind. You know, guys have signed with other programs already. And we're and, seeing that. You know, Okotoks is announcing player signings and yeah. things like that, right? Yeah, exactly. And and this is a competitive uh, market. Uh, our league. Uh, w- you know, we th- there's a ton of opportunities out there for players and for us to find them. However, uh, y- you do have a mindset of growing our program within other programs and relationships and. Um, you know, I know there's some good players at programs that I have a lot of respect for and, and, you know, that's where we're going to start digging first. Um, it's easier to do that than make the cold calls, but, but I like that part of the, the job, uh, reaching out to programs that I don't know. We, we don't always get a return message back, but sometimes we do. Um, and, and, you know, finding guys, you know, the, the ability to, uh, reach out like that, that provided Travis Hunt for us last year. It was, uh, it was a cold call situation. Uh, grew a relationship through some dialogue back and forth over two or three texts, a couple phone calls, and then some emails. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, we, we've got Travis Hunt and, and he's coming up for the summer and then ended up being fortunate enough to meet him uh, when I went down to Tucson to do some recruiting in, in March last year. His team from Arizona was playing down there and, you know, got to meet him face to face. And that led to a pitcher coming up as well from that program. Um, and, and, you know, we all know how that turned out. Travis was a pretty special player for mm-hmm. us. So, um, you know, those conversations need to happen and it really, you know, it's year round, you know, we're talking with guys in the summer, Hey, we're, we need to make an addition to our roster. You know, we have a guy hurt or somebody's leaving. Um, and okay, well, we've got this player, a program would say, Jordan, uh, we don't have anybody for you now, but we're going to be have, we'll have some options for you next year. We've got a left. He's a freshman. We wanted to shut him down this summer next summer he's an opportunity for you um and you file that in your list and and you know you reach out hey how's he doing what's going on and then you know as soon as fall ball kicks off you want to get out there to say hey how you doing have a great fall i want to stay in touch so that process has begun um like i said we haven't made any signings yet uh, but i think we're close on a few guys and then from the business side of things, we, we've been a little bit, I guess you could say, hamstrung on what we're capable of doing, um, you know, without having a lease, uh, we, we really don't have a business. Um, and so that process has um, slowed some of the things that, that I've done in the past. So this, is, this would be, uh, you know, business relations, corporate, season ticket fans, um, all sorts of different opportunities inside our community. Edmonton's a big city and, and sure. our program's growing. So, you know, we want to reach out and let people know that we're, we're, we're still here and, and we haven't been able to do that. So, you know, hopefully with a 10 year lease that will help us establish some, some even bigger relationships uh, that we're, we're, we're secure for a long term. And, you know, that's always appealing. Uh, there's, there's a kind of a built in safety net of a long term relationship there. And, we feel like that will be advantageous to us, uh, you know, when we get out there in the community and start looking for people to partner with. Cold calls are not fun. Um, you know, even, in, and, and I know what, uh, you know, when sometimes you don't get a response, that's what's like booking a show yeah. <laughs> when you're trying to book a live show or you're trying to get an, an advertiser and, and it's a cold call. Um, I've had some of them work out in my life, but the majority of them don't. You just have to not be... Um, you can't let five no's deter you from getting a, a yes on that, uh, on that sixth call and a little bit different in, in your situation, obviously. And, uh, when we're, when we're talking about that, um, because you're looking at players, I, I guess it's kind of similar. Your, your, your players are kind of the, the currency, 
um, it's it's difficult, but you have to just make sure you you keep at it, right? Yeah, you keep reaching out. Uh, you know, one coach I I messaged with earlier in the fall, I hadn't heard back from him. I actually just sent him a message this morning. He got right back, and he's like, "Hey, sorry, I missed your text there. You know, a couple of weeks ago. Here's what we got. You should think about this guy, and, and this guy's doing really well. And mm-hmm. you know, guys are busy too. You know, with fall ball, I get it. Um, you know, I'm not going to hound a guy and you know, hey, hey, why aren't you getting back to me? Um, it wasn't that long ago that I was in involved in college baseball fall ball. Uh, man, you, you man, you're busy. You know, you got a bunch of guys you're trying to help get better and and implement a program and and travel maybe within your area for some games and and even then you're you're still looking to file away names and recruit for the next following season. So the first, the the six weeks there, end of August to till right about now is you're pretty locked in on what you're doing and you don't always want to be you know talking to other guys about summer ball and what's this mm-hmm. guy doing you know you kind of kind of short-sighted on what you're trying to do to establish your program with the new players and and at this point now you maybe kind of start opening up a little bit you got a little bit more time all right uh, speaking of booking guests uh, just a uh, shameless plug for sports and more of the podcast chris dingman two-time stanley oh. cup champion will be appearing on uh, an episode this week uh, we're going to be recording it uh, tomorrow uh, so uh, check out sportsandmore.ca uh, for all of that. You can you can hear Ryan Rashog from last week respond to Darren Drager. The pranks that these guys pull, like at some point, maybe, maybe we'll have to do like a top five prank uh, list and you'll have to kind of tell me, but you know, the pranks that these guys do on the road um, with their, you know, their wallets and they have this game that if you say mine, you have to do 10 pushups on the spot. It's just bizarre. Um, but you guys have a lot of downtime uh, on the road or in games, um, guys that aren't playing. What's what's like the, without doing a top five, what's the classic prank? What's a classic prank? Is it gum on the helmet? Uh, do you Got light it. shoes on fire or something? <laughs> like, tell me about some of the pranks that you guys pull. Uh, and and as a manager, as a coach, do you get involved in them? Yeah, the uh, the the huge double bubble bubble. That's right. Yeah, you know, get that on the helmet. That's always a classic. You one. know, uh, our, our Major League Baseball road to the show, um, like the the baseball game. Yep. Uh, you know EA what I'm talking about. EA game, Sports. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Yep. Mind cramp, uh, brain cramp. There. Anyway, if if you, uh, I made a pitcher, William Millard. He's a lefty. Big 12, six curve. Almost, he had a no-hitter through four innings the other day. <laughs> his mom, his fake mom was really proud. Yep. But anyway, if you just, if you don't throw a pitch, all of a sudden the umpires and the batter, they start doing like these funny swing things and like talking to each other. And at one point it shifts to the the dugout and there's a guy with a giant <laughs> double bubble bubble on his, on his head. So, like, so that's, you have to have, that's a, that's a, got to be a joint effort because you got to have somebody to distract that guy, right? Yeah, no, for sure. So take is. me through that one. I think that well, that one plays out on the bench. Yeah, you know, you got a guy that's looking one way, and and you recognize he's a p- possible target. Um, usually, there's uh, bullpen guys involved in this. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the position guys are too busy trying to trying to score runs and win games and play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and play. Uh, the bullpen guys are cooking up a scheme, and and uh, they target a guy. So you can put like the Call of Duty sniper. They they've got him. Yeah. It's buzzing. It's pulsating. This is the guy they're gonna get. You know, you could see one of them maybe walk around to the front side, draws attention over, and the the, the key to the the big double bubble is that you have to you have to land it nice and you soft. You gotta have a soft touch, very yeah. soft touch. This is a saucer pass through some sticks. <laughs> That's right. Um, and and 
Yeah, maybe you maybe you work in a bump into them if you don't feel like you've got the touch. There you They're, go. You know, like, That's good. Pocket Strategy, style. Yeah. 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 You, you look up all these strategies in YouTube, and uh, once you've executed. I mean, there's no better feeling in the bullpen when you get a guy on the double bubble bubble. How do you not start giggling, though, and give it away? Like, there's always probably one guy that gives it away from laughing well, or something. The, the, the longer the guy doesn't realize it's on there, the more <laughs> the that better, the, yeah. you, know, the, you get the classic giggles. You're holding the giggles like it's grade four class. Okay. Yeah, we'll do some top five uh, uh, pranks at some point. I, I, I don't think anybody was thinking about any pranks in that Yankees-Astros game uh, from Sunday night, though. Um, this is game two. Uh, the Yankees looking to win uh, two straight uh, over the Houston Astros in Houston, um, which is not the easiest place to play with that train and everything like that. But uh, that's what the uh, what the Nats did, right? So they were trying to do that. So that game was great. And, you know, you and I have talked about what we love about baseball games. This is the sound I love when I'm watching a baseball game. Just that, that sound, and good announcers uh, give the crowd their leeway. Uh, but that game yesterday or Sunday, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, Yankees looking to go up two nothing, and the Astros um, wouldn't quit. But that is what I love about playoff baseball because there were home runs, there was great defense, it was good pitching, and it went to extra innings. Like. Yeah. Really, what the, the more script of a classic, right? Yeah, there. like the only the only thing that could have made it a five star game is a double bubble on the hel- helmet <laughs> of somebody and or something. Like it, it just had the makings of everything. And we're gonna talk with Cody Andrewchuk uh, later. But Carlos Correa's game last night, okay, hits the game winning home run. Obviously, uh, uh, pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah twenty seven RBIs now all time uh, record for the Astros. Broke out of a three for 22 slump. He called his shot a few hours earlier, said, I'm going to hit a home run. But the sixth inning is, I think, what he should be remembered for. The ball goes off of uh, Altuve's glove, right? Uh, yep. And yeah, ricochets. Yeah. And, and uh, DJ LeMahieu is rounding third, and he gets waved home. And even Boone said after the game, I would have sent him too. It was a good send. Uh, but take me through that play last night. Rocket shot. Off the glove of Altuve, how does Correa make that play? Well, it's instincts. Uh, it's it's being a good teammate, it's being engaged. You know, when you get to this this level and and into the playoffs, um, you're more than likely full of guys that have that intangible, that instinct that every play matters. Um, it's two outs, so balls hit to Altuve. It's a it's a top spin smashed hit at him. So it's going uh, down as it yeah, it's got uh, a little bit of down yeah. action. Um, you know, it's hit too hard for him to really use his footwork to, to make a play on this. He just tried to knock it down. Yeah, yeah. really, you're in prevent defense yeah, mode. Yeah, Control right. your rebound, cover right. it up, get a whistle. Um, unfortunately for, for Altuve at the time, um, you know, that and that ball can bounce any any type of way. Uh, wasn't able to keep his chest over top to smother that. Ball comes up a little bit, ricochets. Uh, now, what, what Correa's job is to now, do just, there. Sorry. If he does that, though, they might not get the out. If he knocks it down and smothers it, well, I guess they could get the out at first, maybe, but they're not sending LeMay, DJ no, exactly. if he knocks it down. So that maybe they don't get out of the inning. It's it's weird how things happen. Yeah, exactly. If uh, if that ball's smothered and there's a close play, uh, batter runners ruled safe, it's bases loaded. 
Um, rally's still going. Um, Interesting. He has yeah. an opportunity to flip to second, and that's why Correa is moving towards Altuve um, on the way from his defensive positioning as a shortstop. He just on, kept carrying over the bag. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He, he's going towards the bag, and and you know, instinctually, you see this hop happening, and you know, he wasn't locked in right on top of the bag. He was a little bit behind. He's got some. Uh, rhythm in his turn with Altuve, you don't want to be standing on the bag. You get to the bag when the ball gets there. That's right, yeah. So he's got some flexibility timing, of movement. Yeah. Still timing is huge to this. Um, and as as the play's unfolding in real time, uh, the ball kicks, and it's just your instinct, go get the baseball. Because Altuve is in um, where-is-it mode, um, as he wasn't able to fully control the rebound, did a good job keeping it in the infield, which is... Worst case scenario, keep it in the infield so that that run doesn't score. Well, the ball kicked enough. Um, I've got a rule with my guys that we're we're looking for five feet. You know, if a ball kicks five feet plus, we're really aggressive on that. And we're anticipating that happening. So LeMay, who's two outs, he's running on contact. He's not the fastest guy in the world. Uh, so his job should be come around the bag, especially as the balls hit the way it was. You're probably, if you're if you're a good base runner, you're anticipating a, a defensive mistake on that ball that's hit. Um, there's no real chance for a backdoor at third, so you can come around the bag aggressive. You pick up your coach, like you see the ball hit, you can look. But you're that, watching third base. Well, at the, eventually you're not going to run looking behind yourself. Yeah, well, so. you're going to slow yourself down. So your secondary ball gets hit, you can peek as you're advancing, now you pick up coach. You can come around aggressive because there's no play at third. There, you know, the, the options are first and second base for an out, and coach is waving. You know, and and you have to have some instincts like this might be a wave situation because it's a hard hit, tough, tough defensive play ball. Correa is drifting towards, or drifting maybe not the right word, but instinctually heading towards where the ball was. Ball scoots out, he grabs it. Um, you know, and there's a reason he's playing shortstop and one of the best when he's healthy is he's got the full package, the defense, the arm, the range, all that kind of stuff. Um, and shortstops are good at throwing the ball in the run. So he didn't have to fully, completely set his feet. LeMay, who's not the fastest guy, maybe it doesn't look as close of a play as it was because Correa's got a hose, hmm. you know, gunned at the plate with some room to spare. Doesn't look great. Um, I like the send there. Um, you're in a tough game. You're in a tight game with a guy on the mound, Verlander, uh, that's special. You're trying to get as many runs as you can whenever they present itself. That's an instincts type play. You're taught as a young player any type of bobble you're looking to advance, or more than a bobble. Any type of ball that kicks, you're trying to advance 90 on it. Well, at the big league level, they can really flat play. And Correa got there in time through a through a bullet. So the the aggressiveness on the offense is based on this. Correa's got to, ball gets kicked, you're automatically thinking advance. Then you recognize how it's playing out. Well, Correa's got to get that ball, most likely got to square up properly, line his hips and shoulders up to throw a bullet to the plate. So he's got to field it, barehand it, whatever he's going to do, then get around it to make a good throw. So there's a couple other things. Then the throw's got to be caught and a tag applied. You know, So technically there's four or five things that got to happen for them to get you out. Uh, well, and then, you know, when you're a special player like Correa, he doesn't have to get squared up, grabs it with the bare hand, back foot throw, you know, almost 90 miles an hour, delivers a strike right to the plate. You're done. Okay, so just, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Yep. Um, DJ LeMahieu is not a fast runner. He no. couldn't have gotten that far 
on the crack of the bat. Like Brett Gardner hit a rocket. Like that, that was, was right. a rocket. Yep. So I'm, I'm. This is just devil's advocate. How far is LeMahieu getting off the crack of the bat? Like, and, and then so the crack of the bat. He's he's running. Well, he's he's anticipating. Here's the bat takes off. Like how far down the base pass has he gotten before it gets off Altuve's glove? And and listen, even Boone said he was behind third base there, and it looked like it was a a good send because they thought it was going deeper yeah, into the yeah. outfield. It spins off left. Um, I'm I'm thinking was Lemayhu already at third by the time Correa got the ball? Like he had to have been round. I just. At first, I thought the shift was on because Correa got there yeah. so fast, but that's automatic, right? In Correa's mind, ball hit, autom- it's, I know to where it's right going, side. I'm automatically going. It just it's just becomes uh, instinctual automatic. So I'm just wondering how far LeMahieu gets down the, the between second and third when that ball goes off all two. I, I guess I would go have to go back and, and look at it or something, but I'm not saying it was a bad send. You, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a tight ball game. But what I will say is that play is more important than the home run, which sounds weird because if that play doesn't happen, they might not get to the home run. It's like Dave Roberts' backwards philosophy of not using Kenley Jansen. <laughs> and and even last night, um, you know, Aaron Boone was asked in, in his post-game press conference about, you know, did you know, you took Paxton out and you had this and maybe, do you think you didn't have enough uh, relievers? And he's like, I'm not managing to get to extra innings. I'm managing to win the game. And yeah. and that's what the Astros were or the the Yankees were were yeah. doing in that sense. We're, we're trying to win the game here. If we get this run, we we might have it because um, I don't know. Like I, yeah, I, I I I guess that's that's all. My my only question is, you know, how far? And it's a bang bang play. And like I said, I'm not criticizing. Not I'm just quite, playing devil yeah, devil's not advocate. Not quite bang bang. He he was out by. A little bit. Oh more no, no, I'm s- I'm talking about like the hit off the glove. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Bang. Not the yeah. He he was dead on. He was yeah, DOA. DOA. Like, it was uh, you know, I don't know. I that's all I'm saying is with DJ Lemayhu, how far down of the base pass could he have gotten? Like we're not talking about a guy who gets a great jump here, right? Like some really he's, successful base yeah, dealers he's or whatever. He's probably got uh, 15, 15 foot primary lead, so ninety minus fifteen. He's got to cover that ground to third base. Um, he's moving on the pit, so he's gaining. So he's got a secondary seventy-five feet to go from his initial from his lead, lead. Then he's secondary, so now you're at twenty, twenty-two feet. So does he have like thirty feet to go when the wave sign is happening? Do you think? Like, do you think he would get? The, I, I don't know. He was close to the bag when he got okay. waved. Okay, then that yeah, the, when he's it went coming, off the glove. Yeah, he's coming around anyway, so it's not like he's just coming up slow. He's gonna make a turn, yeah, at, and, and and fairly you should, should be making an aggressive turn there, and then the coach just keeps you going. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway. It was a terrific play, and and it's much like, in my opinion, it's not the same, um, but it's Jeter-esque from 2001. You know, Jeter flip play to get Giambi, who should have slid. Um, this is, uh, you know, off the glove, and and at first everybody thinks it's uh, going, like if, if it would even got to the grass, he's scoring easily, because Correa then has to go chase it down. But it was almost the perfect hop to get to him and um, I don't know. What do you think about the bullpens in that game? Like the Astros bullpen, you got to be pretty happy with that. Like I don't think like uh, they, didn't, they didn't give up any damage after a great start. And, you know, this Yankee team, we've seen them smash off everybody 
Uh, but that Houston bullpen was pretty awesome, wasn't it? Yeah, one of those games where it didn't just nobody was really going to do a ton offensively. And you're right, the Astros bullpen outpitched the Yankees bullpen by two pitches. Yeah, you know, Hops fastball and Ottavino's slider. You know, the the second guessing comes out when when you take Green out for Ottavino. Um, you know, with the Yankees' embarrassment of riches in their bullpen, it's only when something doesn't go right you second guess they've it's got hard so many to pieces. second guess that yeah it's hard to second guess a decision in real time oh, with yeah. this yankee lineup hindsight is 2020 and we're not talking about dave roberts decision making here right um, the boone's you know, being aggressive right like, with his like decisions. boone yeah. did not pick up the dave roberts how to derail a world series championship <laughs> team in three moves he didn't read that book before this game no, that, exactly. that, by the way you can buy that book at garbage stores everywhere <laughs> Yeah, the uh, like I I like Green and and he just looked like he was locked in, you know. And then I get the plan. I'm not second guessing. Green was throwing, uh, he was throwing really well. Um, you know, probably at my level, uh, I'm not going to play as hard of a matchup game as you do in the big league, especially at this point in the year. Um, when you get a guy it, it, at our level, when you get a guy rolling, you want to try and keep him rolling. Uh, don't mess with the good thing when you got it. Um, different in the big leagues. I completely understand that you have guys uh, set up specifically for roles. Now, w- one of the things that came up was was Springer did get a good piece off of Ottavino in the first game. He hit a like 395-foot fly ball straightaway center field. It's a home run down the lines. Caught it pretty good. Um, you know, and, and he brought in Ottavino again to face Springer. Uh, most likely Springer's looking for his slider specifically. Right. Um, and got one that was hung first pitch, you know, energy emotions in the game. And you bring in a reliever facing a, a home run threat. You know, he got tip your cap. You got to make a better pitch. If you're out of, you know, obviously that's what he would say. If he executes his best slider, that Didn't doesn't miss happen that much though on it. Oh yeah. You think you thought he missed it that much on it? It was, bo- it was Broadway down the middle, hung spinning early, you know, Springer sitting on it. Yeah. Belt high. It was a gift. All right. Well, I bet you he doesn't miss on it again. Ottavino? Yeah. Like, you know, I, I bet you that's going to be his, like, okay, let's bear down. And, it was, it was the coming into the game, yeah. get me over slider. Sometimes a pitch just slips out a yeah. little bit. Like yeah, exactly. It's, you just it's, don't execute. Hey, man, there was a, <laughs> a kid for Team Canada that had an open net in a World Junior Championship, and his stick broke. Sometimes the, you know, sometimes you get a, a perfect pitch and your bat breaks, yep. right? You know, it's just something, not exactly. every, they're not robots. It's not a video game, <laughs> right? Like this is human perform. nature. Perform every pitch. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So speaking about performing, the Astros one for 10 with runners in scoring position. And, and, uh, you know, AJ Hinch was asked about this after the game and he's like, well, I didn't think it was a lack of production. I just thought it was pretty good pitching. Um, and even when they won the game, they didn't have any uh, runner in scoring position, so that didn't improve. But amazing that you can win a game against that Yankee lineup when you're one for ten yeah. with runners in scoring position, isn't it? Yeah, that's how you. That's that's playoff baseball right there. It's it's keeping it close, giving yourself an opportunity to win, and you know you're, you're most likely not going to hit a hundred for the whole series if this goes six or seven with runners in scoring position. To, There'll be a you're, return. You're not going to win if you're no, doing that in the long term, right? There'll be a return to the mean there at some point. Um, 
which just means if you're the optimist that they're going to break out against the Yankees here at some point and really drive into a bunch of runs. That's like the fantasy conundrum, right? Do you start the guy who was one for <laughs> totally. 10 last week he thinking does. he's going to, he's yeah. due or is he going to continue it? Like, do you start the hot guy or yeah. is he going to fizzle out? Right? Like, don't get me started on those fantasy decisions. Yeah. That's uh, that is why fantasy baseball is a full-time job. It's those kind of decisions. <laughs> you right. really get into the metrics. I'm amazed the you guys made the playoffs this year. Uh, you know, for the prospects with the amount of time you do well, exactly. donate to fantasy baseball. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, it's it's amazing that the Astros could could struggle like that and, and still win the game. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens um, in, uh, in game number three. But game number three of the NLCS uh, goes tonight in Washington. And um, is this how you saw things going this wild card juggernaut national team dropping a 106 win dodger club and now two nothing on the cardinals yeah well i had them over the dodge because that pitching staff and i'm sorry dino um like on the the nationals are the team this postseason that doesn't surprise me because of scherzer because of strasburg because of corbin um you know soto to me is the lefty albert pujols uh, Soto, he's on that trajectory. Uh, unbelievable uh, what he's been able to do in such a short time. Like, he's for real. And then Rendon has had quietly the superstar season of, of seasons. Led the league in RBIs. You know, just uh, clutch, uh, which which sometimes is an overused word, but he's he's been clutch for them so far this postseason. But he's that middle-of-the-order middle, middle of the order bat that has produced and lived up to it. Plays good defense. You know, and it looks like they've got something good cooking in that dugout. They've got some good energy, some good vibes. You see Gerardo Parra with the funny sunglasses and yeah. Anibal Sanchez. With yeah, the, they look like they're having fun. And that that's crucial, man. Like, it's a long season. Uh, and, you know, Gerardo Parra is a, is a role player there, you know, a, a pinch hitter, you know, for the pitcher. Maybe gets a little bit of spot time in the outfield. You know, if, if you're not a good dude, that's a tough role to take. And, and really, it's not a good fit for you if you can't handle it. So, you know, obviously, they've got some chemistry. Kurt Suzuki and Jan Gomes, are, those are kind of character guys as well. you got some some youth. You've got, you know, the bulldog, the new bulldog in, in uh, Scherzer. It just, he's something to watch, man. And, like, the, that that leadership of give me the ball, I'll get it done, that seeps into everyone. You know, everyone feels that confidence and, and, you know, they can walk another inch or two taller every day when Scherzer's around. So I, they don't surprise me at all. I mean, their bullpen, they've got some pieces. They picked up Hudson. Um, he throws <laughs> he throws hard. Uh, Doolittle's 95-plus from the left side. <laughs> you know, who we don't even know if they have any other guys in the bullpen. We, you know, we saw Fernando Rodney there a couple times. So, you know, eventually will that come back to haunt them? We'll see. Um, but so far, so good. So you look at the Cardinals, and when you match them up against all the playoff teams uh, in the NL um, that were involved, they were the lowest scoring team. And that's been their problem. One run, four hits off of uh, uh, Scherzer and uh, Anibal Sanchez. Yeah, And now they have to deal with Strasburg, who has a whip of .80, a .240 ERA. Uh, He's got two wins. He was also brilliant in relief. The only blemish Steven Strasburg has had was Justin Turner. Yeah. Um, and then he just like, he was like, all right, that's done. I'm going here and got back in it. And, and here's the other thing, how much like Steven Strasburg was the first overall pick and he's been hyped forever. 
this is the best we've ever seen Strasbourg this deep because this is the first time they've advanced. Are we finally seeing the hype uh, Steven Strasburg live up to his hype right now? Or do you think he had before already? He's he's performed really well. Uh, maybe slightly underrated as far as top end arms in the big leagues. Okay. Uh, you know, we're seeing the, you know, his, his uh, talent and pedigree come to fruition now. It, it's happening in real time. Like he's dominating in the playoffs. He has, he had that, you know, uh, persona coming in as a, you know, hard throwing first overall pick, put up crazy numbers in college. Um, you know, the future of the Nationals, they, they did him and then they did Harper. They got mm-hmm. cornerstones on both sides of the ball. Um, he really has performed as such. Uh, they they really took care of his arm early in his career. Maybe maybe it cost their franchise a little bit. In yeah, they had him runs. on. Now, was it, they the, shut the, down. was it the Nationals or was it his agent? No, it was that, the Nationals. It was them that, that had him on a pitch count. Yeah, and, and I'm sure the agent's involved. And, and you know, they keep that out of Strasburg's hand because... You know, he doesn't want to tell his teammates he doesn't want to pitch, and and I'm sure he does. He's a as we see, he he's he's all about it. So uh-huh. um, there was a plan put in place that was agreed upon, and they stuck to it. Um, and that they, they probably held him back, like that it, that held back his hurt, statistics. Well, it hurt the Nationals franchise. Yeah. Uh, Strasburg's had really good numbers regular season, you know, every year. Yeah, but uh, think if he could pitch more, he has the ability to to add to those those numbers. Right, like it just—it held him back in a lot of ways. Well, well, as far as uh, the games elite of the elite, you know, we look at Furlander, who's done it in the playoffs. Scherzer, who's done it in the playoffs. You know, so some of these guys that Baumgartner, exactly. Like it's the, pains the, me to say that the legendary status. Oral Hershiser, I'll just even it out now because I had to. <laughs> yeah, get, exactly. I gotta get that that that's uh san francisco giant <laughs> get it out of my mouth yeah. i'm just feel like i'm gonna dry heave here well, i didn't mention is, something good about you, the giants you make you make your your case for immort baseball immortality right. and, and strasburg has an opportunity to do that tonight yeah. and if they can advance really continue to cement that as you know one of the greatest of his era and then there's down the line hall of fame implications with that and and your ability to produce in the playoffs is is that social media is where we're at today in, in the world of things it it you know, there, there's no reason to to cut him down and be negative about him if he's getting it done in the playoffs. So, okay, so what do you think Bryce Harper is uh, feeling <laughs> right now? And it, do you think the Nationals are right? Is that like, like I don't think anybody on the Nationals is in an, in a television interview is going to say, yeah, this is awesome. We're doing it without Bryce Harper. But you and I are national players. Have we talked about that? Do you think they're they're talking about? And we can do this without the the boy wonder. Uh, I don't think at all. I don't think it's okay. come up at Subconsciously, all. Subconsciously, do you think there's something no, in their minds? Uh, not at all. I, I don't think there was any issue with um, him and his teammates. No, I'm you know, not like, saying that. I'm just well, saying I think that's where that that thought would come up if he was if he was a dickhead, you know, like to his teammates. We may not like him as as fans, right? Um, or the energy. There's something that rubs you the wrong way about Bryce Harper. Um, I, I don't see that probably the case in that clubhouse. So he's got some lifelong friends in there still. He's probably happy for them. That's true. But you don't think Messier was motivated in 90 to win without Gretzky? Oh, for sure. So I, that's well, what I'm saying. That's like, for his legacy, but he he wouldn't trade that. I'm sure he would have loved to play with Wayne at no, the same time. No, no, yeah, time. that's what I'm just saying. Is, there in, is the motivation driving the Nationals to win without Harper? Because 
I'm, I don't I'm think sure so. the Oilers wanted to prove they could win without Gretzky. And I, I'm sure the Nationals want to prove that too. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Like, you're right about that. Uh, I think as fan base and the franchise, they want to prove that. As far yeah. as guys in, okay. the, in the room, that might be a probably good point. no. Yeah. Um, that might be a good point is that management wants yeah. to make that yeah. point that they made the right decision. Yeah, oh, for sure. Right? Yeah, I mean, it means it means you keep your job. Yeah. You know, if they have a great run here, that adds on a couple of years at the end of your yeah. career. Anytime you do something in the playoffs, you get to be like the 38-year-old that signs for a one-year, $1 million deal and get another crack at it. Right. If you don't have that playoff performance pedigree, you're Nobody's not... Nobody's throwing that well, money like, at you, yeah. When you're done, you're done. You may not get that one last kick at the can. Same in the front office. You know, they... They've obviously uber qualified people, and Rizzo's been there for a long time, and mm-hmm. has has made some tough decisions. Uh, one being the Bryce Harper. So, uh, you know, they they offered him three hundred million initially. Like they they, and I'm sure they knew strategically that that wasn't going to be enough. enough and, yeah. and so they can kind of tell their fan base, look, we tried, it's not going to work. We're going to move on, which is actually playing out with Rendon too right now. They offered him, um, you know, I don't know what in the two hundred millions, but. You know, uh, Arenado is like 250. Well, they offered, you know, Rendon like 202 or 209, one of those numbers. Um, so they're, they're in the conversation, but not enough to get him done just yet. So again, they, they've positioned themselves within their fan base as being, hey, we tried. If we can't get it done, we can't get it done. We have our limits. So yeah, fan, fan wise and, and organization wise, yeah, they want stick to stick it to Bryce probably a little bit. I don't see that as players, you know, unless you don't like the dude, but you know, he's a gamer, man. Like I know a lot of people don't like him, but you didn't like him in fantasy this year. He cost you games. You said that. I'm, but I'm going to keep him. Well, of course. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to keep him. Of he's, course. He's going to come up with one of these years here at some point where it's going to be a complete fantasy difference maker. Come on next year, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get to our uh, big guest and our only guest of the day right now. Play ball! Very pleased to be speaking with Cody Andrachuk, the head coach of the Lindsey Wilson Blue Raiders uh, College in uh, Columbia, Kentucky. Uh, Cody, thanks very much for joining us on the program. And of course, thanks to Jordan for uh, setting this up. I know you guys uh, go back, but uh, let's just get a little bit of background about you, Cody. Tell us about your uh, your baseball background, um, You know where you grew up in Canada and, and where baseball has taken you. Okay, yeah. So I uh, appreciate you guys having me. Um, and you know, I come from a you know small, small kind of area of baseball in Nanaimo, uh, British Columbia. Uh, me and my brother both kind of grew up playing the game, and you know, the game led us in you know a variety of different areas. As far as you know, we got a college experience down here in the U.S. Um, we both went to the Calrissian World Series in Aberdeen, Maryland. Uh, met Calrissian Jr. and did all that when we were twelve. Um, and then I eventually, you know, got to the opportunity to play at Vancouver Island University uh, under Jordan Blundell. I played there for two uh, two years um, and then ended up going and play summer ball with the Kelowna Falcons in the West Coast League. Um, and Coach Blundell helped me get down to Tusculum College, which I eventually met my wife. Uh, now we have a beautiful uh, daughter coming up on two in November. Um which led to an opportunity in, in coaching down here. Um, I spent two years at the University of Pikeville um, as a volunteer assistant waiting on my uh, green card to come through uh, with our marriage, and um, which led to an opportunity in the Cape Cod Baseball League over the summer, which 
in turn led to an assistant job here at Lindsay Wilson College, and now I'm the uh, head skipper here and loving every minute of it. All right, so uh, you're a, um, a West Coast guy who does not now any longer sound like a West Coast guy. Uh, <laughs> if, if you didn't tell me you were from West Coast, I would think you were born and bred Kentucky, man. Yeah, yeah I get a lot of flack for that when I go home. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love the accent. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to maybe getting down there for a visit so I can pick that accent up. It's uh, it's true baseball. <laughs> it, it's kind of like a Kentucky accent, but also a baseball accent when you get around the baseball yard. There's a draw. You get, you get around the, the environment down there. You do, just kind of something that you pick up. It's cool, man. So, Cody, uh, we want to cover a few different things, but I want to give our listeners a chance to – um, here, here, how you would describe how college fall ball, um, kind of gets going from day one, what it's like, uh, for you guys kind of start at the end of August, uh, for day one and, and report date and how many kids show up, uh, and kind of what your process is, I guess, maybe through the first two or three weeks to, for you to get to know some of the new players for your returning players, your veteran players to, establish connections with new players and, and just kind of how that process plays out over the first couple of weeks of college fall baseball. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, you kind of have a connection with these players over the summer and make sure they're, you know, they're staying on top of all their, all their stuff that we send with them over the summer as far as workout plans and setting up all the class schedules. And then you have, you have a first kind of team meeting and, you know, you kind of get to see where the kids are at as far as, in shape and what you kind of have to dissect for the, for the future of the fall. Um, and, you know, we sit down and have that, that team meeting, go over all the ground rules as far as the rules of our, of our program and expectations. And then they actually get a week off uh, to start the year to get adjusted to college when you got, you know, you bring in a lot of freshmen like we do. Um, you know, they, they need that week to kind of get accustomed to the, the whole college experience. Um, and then we dive right into uh, team practice. We try to soak up all the good weather early. Uh, we do get a little bit of uh, weather down here. Kind of, we do get some snow here and there. Um, so we try to get uh, we try to get all that uh, good weather in with team practice. Um, you know, but a, a, a typical day for the guys would be, uh, you know, they'd wake up, go to class, um, and then they'd uh, have lunch. They then we head down to practice for you know three to six. They go for dinner, uh, and then they got study hall, and then late to finish it off. So it's uh, there's not a whole lot of time when you're a college athlete to uh, to breathe. It's a very busy process, and you know I think our guys are doing a really good job of it this year. We're speaking with the uh, head coach of the Lindsey Wilson Blue Raiders in uh, Columbia, Kentucky. Cody Andrechuk is joining myself and Jordan Blundell on the prospects baseball show uh so cody when you get down uh to uh, columbia kentucky uh first of all uh give us a little bit about where columbia kentucky is and and your first kind of reaction when you saw you know whether it be the facilities or the campus or, or whatever your first kind of uh taste of uh of lindsey wilson college yeah i know so absolutely that you know columbia is a small town uh it's a small college town um which is very typical uh, with a lot of these universities and colleges. There's not a lot around. Um, we're about an hour and a half 
from Nashville and an hour and a half from Lexington, Kentucky. So we're kind of right in the middle. Wow. Um, it's, yeah, we're Western Kentucky. Um, you know, they call it God's country down here. Um, but you know, the, the best thing about this campus that, that we have is it's, 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 you know, delivered for athletes. Um, we've got a wellness center on campus. That's very much like a YMCA that's, free for all the students. It's got Olympic size swimming pools, uh, shallow in for, you know, team workouts, um, state of the art workout facility, um, a running track inside. And then we have a beautiful, uh, baseball, uh, our ballpark, um, that was built in, uh, 2009. Um, that's been kept well, you know, it's fairly new, but we've, you know, constantly, we've put a new infield down on it, resodded it and brand new dirt. So, I mean, it's, it's one of the nicest ballparks in, in the NAI, without a doubt. Yeah, Cody. It, uh, I had a chance to talk to your to your assistant coach uh, last week, Ethan Utley, about some of your guys, and um, it was funny. It was uh, I was just about to walk into a meeting. I, we uh, caught each other while I was in my vehicle, and and I asked Ethan, uh, you know, what's the temperature down there? And he said, ah, you know, George, it's uh, it's cooled off here a little bit. It's about seventy degrees. You know, it's a nice little break from the, you know, we had 95 the whole time uh, through fall ball up to basically that day, which was, I think, Thursday or Friday. And I said, yeah, that's really cool, Ethan. Uh, I'm looking at my dial in my van right now, and it says minus two up here. Um, so I don't, I, I don't want to let, I don't want that to uh, spoil any of your guys coming up. We usually have a pretty good summer, so um ballpark looks awesome man is that something that um you kind of had to learn how to do on the fly with uh with your coaching staff on um kind of just taking care and upkeep of the facility uh for your players yeah so actually my assistant coach i'm not going to take a lot of the credit because he does a phenomenal job uh working on the field he's always out there even on days off edging the field and mowing and and we just actually put about a thousand pounds of ryegrass down um, for the upcoming uh, year. Um, but you know, he does an outstanding job maintaining the facility, and um, you know, it's something with coaching you kind of just learn over time. Um, with working on working on the, the ball fields, and you know, you'll take little tips from other people um, with how they operate. And one of the guys that really helped me was with the fields was uh, Jonathan Burton, who's now the head coach at Reinhardt, who I worked under for a year. He was a field guru. So uh, he definitely, uh, definitely helped me out in that area. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, and, and, you know, both of you guys uh, have experience in, um, you know, college baseball in the United States, but for the listener, um, kind, kind of, uh, Cody, maybe give us a, uh, a thumbnail sketch of what game day is like uh, uh, in the city and uh, the town that you're in and the campus, um, you know, the crowd, the atmosphere, um, you know, tell our listeners what that feeling is like, um, you know, football and baseball in college sports are two of the biggest things in North America. Uh, what is, uh, what is game day like where you are? Uh, so, you know, typical game day, if we're, we got a, a, a nice day, usually early or later on in the year, we'll have a, we'll have a bigger crowd, um, you know, that people typically stay away from, you know, the, the Februarys and the, that type of weather. They don't, they don't like to come out that much when it's cold out down here. So, but, you know, a typical day for us would be, you know, we get ready, get the field going, uh, umpires show up fairly early, we'll let them into their facility where they can, you know, change and shower and, 
the guys are, you know, usually fired up, ready to go. And, you know, they're usually blasting music in the locker room and getting pumped up. And, um, you know, it's, and then you, you know, they go through their the process of hitting, hitting the cages or we do on field BP. And, um, then we go into the locker room and have, have a talk and kind of, you know, the night before is really when we're getting prepped for stuff. We'll go over film in the locker room and dissect, Hey, this pitcher's got, this, 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 and that, you know, fastball slider changes, there's his takeoff move. And, um, you know, so they kind of have an idea of, of what we're to expect for that day with, with the arms that we're facing. And, um, you know, the hitters kind of go from there. And I mean, it, a typical day for us is it's, it's, it's really a whirlwind. It's, there's a lot of things that go into the process of, of a game day. And, and the fans are, you know, usually pretty fired up down here. It's a small college town. So, you usually get the whole whole community and the campus out. The campus is, you know, really compiled of athletes. So everyone kind of supports everyone. Um, the football games down here are absolutely nuts. Uh, our football team is usually nationally ranked um, and usually host playoff games. I believe they're 10th in the country right now, and I believe they're 6-0. and And, you know, there's probably, you know, 10,000 people filled in those stands every, uh, every uh, Saturday. Yeah, that's uh, that's really cool. Uh, the, the college football atmosphere, you know, you, you you play once a week and everybody can kind of get jacked up for it. A little different than baseball when you you might end up playing five, six games in in, in a week. Um, my experience with college football was uh, pretty fun at the uh, University of Jamestown. I ended up being a ball boy. So I was uh, on the sidelines for all the football games for four years. And cool. Um, you know, we uh, we took it upon ourselves to to take the moniker of best ball boys in the conference um you know i i never went to any other game so i don't know but we had the referees tell us <laughs> that we were and and we bought into that for sure um and then being a canadian yeah, they kid, don't tell every other ball boy i that, don't think right? they yeah, did yeah, yeah like we, we were getting after it pretty good so uh we had a lot of fun with that and being a canadian kid uh that grew up with hockey and baseball you know being on the sidelines for a football game uh was a different experience for sure uh cody I wanted to touch on uh, your uh, your time in the Cape Cod League. Uh, for a lot of us in Canada, it's uh, it's it's the the movie Fever Pitch and or uh, yeah. yeah whatever that movie is with uh, Freddie Prinze Jr. Uh, I think it, was Fever it? Pitch was um, that's Jimmy the, Fallon. Yeah, that's the other one. So uh, I'm missing the title, but uh, for baseball guys, we all know that movie. And, Summer and, Cat. Yeah, there it is. Summer Cats. Appreciate that code. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your time with the Hyannis Harbor Hawks uh, of the Cape Cod League? Yeah, so it's kind of, you know, a dream come true. Um, getting the coach in that league, you always hear about it and hear how good it is. And, you know, you, ne- you never really think you could, you know. I mean, me being a, a kid from the Nimo with, you know, aspirations to get into college athletics, is, the chances are very slim. Um, and, you know, it's, it's possible, but the opportunities, you know, they're very limited. Um, so Chad Gassman, who was the previous head coach at the University of Pikeville, who uh, was then the uh, head coach at Judson up in uh, Chicago, uh, gave me an opportunity to be an assistant coach up there for him for the summer. And uh, I instantly took it. My wife was actually pregnant at the time, and I actually I left her um to go up there and you know i just told her i said look this is going to lead to bigger and better things uh it's just an opportunity i have to take um 
And I got to coach with uh, Ron Polk, who's the all-time winningest SEC baseball coach. Um, and he actually came down and spoke at our auction dinner last year. He, you know, he's one of the coaches that you look up to um, in this profession because, you know, he literally calls every coach he ever worked with on his birthday. So calls every player on their birthday and sends everybody he's ever worked with or coached a Christmas letter. You know, guys like that in, in this profession, you know, that people don't take the time to do those type of things anymore. Um, and, he, you know, he uses a flip phone and uses a typewriter. There's no computer. Um, you know, he was also, I learned a lot from him on defense play in the outfield, especially. He's got a, you know, he's got a, he's one of the only guys to have a, a book written that's been used in classrooms um, called the baseball playbook. Um, so, you know, he came up and spoke at our auction dinner and, and did an unbelievable job with the guys. And, uh, you know, they really took a lot from him. But, you know, the Cape Cod, to me, it's the cream of the crop. It's the best players in the country. You know, I got the pleasure of coaching Jake Mangum, who broke the all-time SEC hit record, uh, switch hitter out of Mississippi State. I think we had 22 out of the 27 guys we had on that team drafted um, that, that next draft. Um, Tyler Frank was another guy from FAU who played on the USA baseball team. I think he went in the third round to the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, you know, the talent up there was – we actually had Kyler Murray was playing up in the Cape um, for Harwood Mariners. Um, and they're like, that's the next quarterback at Oklahoma. I said, that's, there's no way. The dude's super small. He's not the next quarterback at Oklahoma. And then he wins the Heisman and goes first overall to Arizona Cardinals. So what do I know, right? But um, <laughs> it was an unbelievable experience. Um as far as the atmosphere, the you know the is beautiful up there for one. The fields they play on are high school fields, so they're nothing, you know, nothing special. It's just the talent, it's just the tradition, the talent, and the people come from all over to come watch. You know, you have you probably have 20, 20 scouts for a, for a whole month period at every game, um, and they're just up there watching it, certain players, watch you know, multiple times just getting filmed and it's yeah it's an, it was an unbelievable experience that's a really good gig for a scout hey <laughs> like that listen this is what we want you to do this summer uh this is uh this is a pretty good gig uh to get we're uh, chatting with uh, cody andrachuk who's the head coach at uh, the uh, Lindsay wilson college uh, the blue raiders you can follow him on twitter at cody andrachuk and you can get the college at uh, Lindsey Wilson. Uh, let's talk about the relationship between um, you know, teams like yourself, colleges, and and teams like the Edmonton Prospects that uh, Jordan is the head man of. And you know, f- you know, him and I have talked uh, extensively about the relationships you uh, either rely on that you previously had, like th- the two of you guys, or the ones that you build with complete strangers, but, uh, you know, they need players for their league. You want your players to get a good experience. Um, how important is finding the right team for your players? Yeah. So that's, it's actually critical. Um, summer ball is a place where you can send guys to get better, but it's also a place where you can send guys to get snake. And, uh, when I mean snake, um, you got to be careful where you send your players. You really got to trust the guys you're sending them to um, because at the end of the day, every team's trying to get better. And, you know, there's been previous cases that I, I have heard and seen where players are, you know, getting swiped by Division ones or, you know, but, you know, it's just a, it's a very, uh, 
fine line with stuff with summer ball. So, you know, you, you want to send them to guys you trust. And, you know, we have certain programs we like to send our guys. You know, obviously, Coach Blundell, I, I, I played for him. Uh, I talked to him, you know, probably twice a week at, at some weeks. And, you know, I trust him fully with our guys um, as far as using them correctly with, you know, if we send an arm or, you know, treating them with, you know, the way you want to treat your players. So that connection is super important. Um, you know, and, you know, the Edmonton prospects, that, that whole that whole league is filled with talent. Um, and a lot of people don't, down here especially, you know, they're, you know, I'm going to send them to the Northwoods. I'm going to send them to the Coastal Plains. You know, the, the, the Wimble with the Edmonton prospects, the, the field, the facilities, the, you know, the town. Um, we, we had Tyler Maskell up there last year, and he came back and had nothing but good things to say about it. Um, so, you know, hopefully we can keep that connection going for years to come and send good players up there and, and you know, often win a championship. Yep, no, for sure, Cody. Uh, we loved having Tyler. He, uh, he, he was a good young man, worked hard, and, and uh, he ended up having the biggest hit for us uh, in the year. We had uh, an extra innings win in game two of the playoffs, we had a, just over 2,000 fans in the stands. Um, we had uh, we had our pitching staff, the bullpen guys, you know what they're like. They had the rally hats on, so the one dude had about 15 hats on rolling up <laughs> height-wise. And, and uh, Tyler came through with a seeing-eye single through the middle of the field. Uh, we had bases loaded. We were down by a run. You know, that's going to score one. There was a play at the plate. And uh, bang, bang, two, and, and we were safe. Uh, big celebration. Uh, I was so happy for him. He, he was uh, a grinder mentality type guy. And I, I know that uh, you sent him up there, up here, because you thought that uh, he'd be a good player for me, and he was. Um, we definitely love those kind of third-line grinder mentality guys. And I'm definitely looking forward to continuing to grow that relationship with Lindsey Wilson. So, um, touching on that last year was your first year at Lindsay Wilson. Um, and, uh, we wanted to get a feel for where you think the club is at now after having been able to kind of implement your style and, and your energy to the ball club and, and, you know, have some guys graduate out of the program, but really have your first recruiting class come in this year as last year you, you, you were kind of stuck and had the, had the program, uh, come to you late, uh, weren't really able to establish your first recruiting class. So this is kind of like year one in reality. Um, how, how do you feel that uh, Lindsey Wilson shapes up here this year in, in your second year as the head coach, but uh, your first true recruiting class? Yeah, so that, that's, a, that's a really good you know question. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, that, like, like you said, there's no excuses with anything in, in, in life, but, you know, I... I found out I was basically going to be the head coach here, the next head coach, with about three weeks till the guys reported. Um, and when you go through coaching changes, and you know some players leave with the previous coach, and you're kind of stuck with what you're stuck with. So, you know, I had about three weeks to. Uh, I believe I signed about fifteen to twenty kids in about three weeks. So I was I was on the phone. I was out on the road. I was you know I was I was worn out. Plus, I was still working on the field. So. And I had to hire an assistant coach, so it was a real big scramble. Luckily, that I had a good connection with uh, Coach Utley, uh, which I coached with at University of Pikeville. Um, but you know, the future we, we went, we're going younger, um, and I think that's important. Um, you know, junior college kids are great, but you only get that relationship with them for two years. Um, whereas when you get a freshman, you got that relationship for four years. 
they're bought in. They're going to be program guys for for a long time. Um, they understand the way you operate. You understand the way they operate. Um, and there's a lot of talented freshmen that we brought in. Um, a couple off the top of my head are um, Kate Duncan will be one to watch. He came in as a 17-year-old in his first bullpen. He's popped a 90. Um, another kid to, to watch will be uh, Kobe Wall. He's an outfielder from uh, Logan County High School. Um, he's got a lot of thunder in his back. Um, and another freshman to watch is Chance Staten, a catcher from Somerset, who is a top 30 prospect in, in the state. Um, we, we stole him away from a lot of programs. So, you know, we're excited to have those three, you know, core pieces. There's a lot of other good freshmen that I'm probably leaving off. Um, but we're also returning, you know, a lot of good quality players. Austin Reno, who's a second teamer last year. Seth Price, who's a second teamer. Um, the gold glover, Dylan Saunders is coming back. And, and we brought in, we did bring in a couple of junior college kids from California and Florida that are going to fill some, fill some spots for us more than likely. Um, but we also are bringing back a, a shortstop for us who was ineligible last year. He's from Puerto Rico. His name's Kelvin Llanos. Um, and he's probably the best defender I've ever coached. Um, really good kid, loves the game, plays the game the right way. Um, and, he, and he's just a difference maker for us. So the biggest thing for us is, um, you know, to make sure you, you look good on paper in the fall. And that's every program until – until grades roll around and then you're like, all right, we got to buckle down on some stuff. But, you know, the future of the program is looking really good. Uh, I expect, you know, big things from us this year as far as turning the program around in a lot of ways. Um, you know, the Mid-South Conference is very tough. You've got a lot of good programs in there um, in, within our conference. Um, you know, Campbellsville, University of Cumberland, and Georgetown, they were all regional teams last year. They're all within the top 25. Um, and, you know, typically we're right there with them. Uh, we've been to the World Series in 2015 and 16 and finished high fourth in the country. Um, and then you can't knock out Cumberland, Tennessee, who's won three World Series. And they're in our conference as well with Coach Hunt down there, who's been coaching longer than I've been alive. So, um, you know, there's it's a lot of competition in this, this conference. All right, let's turn our attention to uh, the quest for the World Series, Cardinals-Nats tonight. Um, They're going to have to do a lot to equal what we saw last night between the uh, Yankees and the Houston Astros. Um, There's a lot of Yankee fans up in arms over the call and the outside uh, on Gary Sanchez. Um, they conveniently have forgotten about the, uh, the the pitch before it, and then the home run <laughs> ends it. But um, you know, I didn't want that game to end last night, Cody. I don't know about you. I don't know what your what team you have in 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 Major League Baseball. But uh, you know, I, the big maple on the mound had me cheering for the Yankees last night, and uh, I didn't think that would ever happen. But what do you think of that game last night? <laughs> I, I was actually my my mom's actually down from uh, Canada, so me and her were sitting on the couch watching it. Um, and, you know, I, I want the Astros to win. I'm not, I, I can't stand the Yankees. Uh, I'm a Toronto Blue Jay guy through and through, um, and the future's right there. But, you know, that, like you said, that Gary Sanchez call, he can't be too mad about it when he already struck out the pitch before. Um, and, uh, you know, they, the Astros, to me, are just young, fun, exciting. So are the Yankees. But, you know, some of the players the Astros have, I mean, Bregman and, and Gurriel, I like Gurriel and, you know, they got all those. They got all those guys. Correa was a big knock 
you know, had a great game last night. Um, and then those three, the three-headed monster the Astros have. How can you not cheer for them? No kidding. Eh? The, that pitching staff is is something else. Um, I like how you touched on uh, the energy that the Astros have, and one of the reasons that that you like that organization is you could just tell they they enjoy being together. They enjoy the game. Uh, you, you can see the love of baseball oozing out of that dugout and in that clubhouse, and and that that's a big part of of how you get through a 162 game season and get into the playoffs. Um, how important is clubhouse chemistry and energy and and you know that intangible of character uh, to to a big league team and and you know to to the Lindsey Wilson program? Yeah, no, I mean that's that's the number one thing you strive for as a coach and, and as a manager um, is to to have that atmosphere. You can't force it; it's something that comes natural. Um, and you know, I think AJ Hinch out of all the managers in the big leagues probably does it the best. I actually got the pleasure of listening to him speak at the uh, ABC convention um, in Indiana, um, and he spoke, and I and I soaked it up because that guy is, he's got something to, to say about getting a team to buy in and, and really focus on what they're doing. And I think that you know, with the Astros, the younger guys have really taken very much the leadership role. You know, you see Bregman doing all the stare downs of the cameras, and everyone else follows, and that's a young guy. Um, he actually got drafted second overall um, next to uh, Dansby Swanson that year. And that's why I, I believe that's why he wears number two, um, because he's got that chip on his shoulder. That's the kind of guy he is. Um, and, you know, the for us, you know, our older guys do a very good job of, of making sure that they buy into the, you know, the expectation and the culture. And, they're, you know, we do team, you know, team uh, get-togethers, cookouts, and, and all that kind of stuff to build that team camaraderie. And I think that's a huge part in this game. Well, you know, and, and, and camaraderie means that you pick up guys when they're struggling and, and you know that those guys are going to come through. And, you know, Carlos Correa is is a prime example of that, Uh, you know, injured himself during the season, hasn't really come back guns a blazing was three for 22 uh, going into that at bat uh last night but he had said a few hours earlier i'm gonna hit a home run tonight and he was right he, he does that 27 rbis in the playoffs that's the uh, most in franchise history passing lance berkman and you know the home run ended the game but there wouldn't have been a home run i don't think if correa didn't make such an incredible play in the sixth inning when they're tied at two almost jeter like almost jeter-esque from 2000 not quite as good as the the jeter flip but it's a historic play. It's people are going to look back on that and say, you know, if the Astros win the World Series, that play might have done it because if that run scores, they don't get to extra innings. Maybe. What do you think about that, Cody? Yeah, that people are going to probably lose sight of that right now in the moment. They're going to think of the home run, but that play to have the instincts to go and do that play there. You know, there's not a lot of players that have those instincts. I mean, who's to say? You know, he's Altuve makes a play and and nobody's there but he you know he's, he was there ready to react make a throw and not only did he make the throw he threw it out the back foot i believe at like 89 miles an hour dead strike the home plate with the pack i mean any guy any third base coach is sending that guy there because no one's typically going to be there um and you know that's that play where Dieter made that that split what was Dieter doing there? it's just instincts and those those great players have those and, you know, that play is going to get, like you said, that play is going to be remembered for, for a long time in playoff history. 
Let's shift into the National League here, Cody, and uh, St. Louis Cardinals and the Washington Nationals. We're looking at uh, the Washington Nationals. Should be the Dodgers, but Dave Roberts uh, (laughs) steamrolled their chances. Maybe I give you a little heads up here. Uh, Dean Dean's a little bit of a Dodgers fan, so we've had uh, we've had a couple of discussions on what happened to the Dodgers this year. But uh, with the Cards and Nats left, and and the Nationals basically deciding that the Cardinals hitters aren't going to do anything for the rest <laughs> of the year, <laughs> and going no hitters through seven back to back nights, um, down two nothing, going into Washington, backs against the wall. Is this it for the Cardinals, or will we see the Cardinals' resiliency and pedigree uh, break through? I, I think it's I think it's a wrap. Uh, I think you know the Nationals. They still got I believe they still got Strasburg to go. Um, then them two that those two guys in the middle for the Nationals are beasts, Rendon and Soto. You know they you could call them the Dodger killers if you want, but I mean. I, would, I, would. I like that. I, I, I called. Like I called Dave Roberts the Dodger killer. Actually, <laughs> I'm just saying the Nationals. You know, it's funny. There's no Bryce Harper. I love it. I'm like, <sighs> I, I can't stand Bryce Harper. And you know, the fact that you know the Nationals won their first postseason series and and moved on, and now they're up two games to none, and took two from St. Louis, and then and there's no you know three hundred million dollar man, uh, young young group, good pitching staff. Um, young manager, uh, and you know they're just rolling right now. I think it's going to be very tough for the Cardinals to bounce back. Uh, they're going to need to get uh, a good start out of the guy going to, going tonight. Uh, Flaherty goes against Strasburg tonight. Strasburg in his point eight oh whip yeah. in the uh, playoffs. Uh, just when you think you got a, a big big yeah. must win, you got to face Strasburg, yeah, who's no unhittable kidding. in the playoffs. Um, all right, Cody, let's uh, let's wrap up with um, we're doing our top five Canadians. We're going to give our list uh, after this uh, interview in in the next segment. Uh, but uh, from a Canadian baseball perspective, uh, we saw the big maple on the mound last night, James Paxton, and that's great news to see more and more Canadians. Uh, we've seen uh, Soroka uh, in the playoffs this year, and obviously the, the list goes on and on with the big names. But uh, who are your top five Canadian baseball players all time? You can go five to one if you want to. Okay. Uh, my, I'll just go from the top. Uh, my number one is Larry Walker uh, for for a number of reasons. Uh, he kind of, you know, I, in my opinion, led the way for Canadians. Um, and then I'm going to go Justin Morneau, um, BC boy. Uh, you know, won an MVP, won a home run derby, a famous home run derby versus Josh Hamilton when he went off that year. Um, and then I'm going to go Joey Votto. Uh, obviously, Cincinnati's close to us, so that's kind of the the team that's on TV the most. So I get to watch him play a lot. He's kind of having a down year, but, you know, he's, he's been at the top of the first baseman, you know, for a long time in this league. And then I got to go Eric Gagne. Uh, I love Eric Gagne. He had that famous change-up, volcano change-up, through through gas back in the day when a lot of people weren't throwing gas. Um, and then I'm probably going to go with another BC boy, um, you know, Paxton's great, but me, me growing up, I like watching Jeff Francis pitch for the Colorado Rockies. So that's probably my uh, my last guy there. Yeah, that's a good list, Code. Uh, I've got a, a little Francis story. When when I first played college baseball, I went up to, to Kamloops, a TRU program. Back then it was UCC. 
Uh, we played the UBC program in the fall and, and swung wood bat. And, and, you know, I wasn't much of a college player at that point. I had a lot of room to continue to fruit improve. And, and we faced Jeff Francis and I remember knowing that he was a name and, and he threw pretty hard for the lefty. And, um, I ended up hitting a sharp ground ball to short, uh, Oh, for one. And, uh, that, that's the extent of my experience against Francis, but, but what a run he had and, and to have to do that in Colorado, it's almost like you wish he could have maybe pitch somewhere else for a little bit and see, see what kind of numbers he could have put up. But, um, and, uh, you know, he's done a lot for baseball in BC and, and for the UBC programs. That's a really good list. Uh, we're going to divulge our list here in a little bit, but appreciate you chiming in with your top five. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, man. Thanks so much for joining us uh, on the show today. Um, uh, best of luck uh, as the season rolls along. And, uh, I look forward to, uh, uh, meeting uh, some more Blue Raiders next year um, when the Edmonton prospects are hopefully uh, in action at uh, Remax Field. Not everything uh, finalized there, but uh, the, the the I's are being dotted and the T's are being crossed. Uh, I have my fingers crossed for that, that we'll see some more Blue Raiders in Edmonton next year. Thanks a lot, Cody. Take care. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me. Thanks, Cody. The pitch. There's a long one to right field. Forget about it. This one is headed for New Jersey. High into the upper deck. the best left fielder of all time. How about your favorite shortstop ever? What a double play by Ozzie Smith. Oh, mercy. It's time to build your all-time team. All right, so uh, we're, we're kind of doing... Um top fives. We've morphed into top fives. Uh, we've finished the all-time team, which was fun. I loved oh, it. That was good. I loved going through uh, all the different positions but we can only do that once uh if we if we did it again uh, it would be pretty boring yeah because we have already done it so we've kind of morphed into these top fives and i like this um so cody did his top five and uh, showed his age <laughs> without having ferguson jenkins on his list but that's okay that's okay you don't have to everybody it, it's not uh it's your it's list the, it's your list it's and your you know what list. an opinion can't be wrong the only so, thing is you need to have canadians yeah, you have to follow the rules. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't have Barry Bonds on your list, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, he, they have to have a Canadian passport. Now, you know, Freddie Freeman you could have, who's a uh, an American and a Canadian. Um, so you could have dual citizenship. Just like, uh, you know, people looked at like Brett Hall and be like, how can you not play for Canada? Because they cut him. You know, whatever. Anyway, I digress. So all time, top five Canadians you go uh, five to one, and uh, if you have an honorable mention, that's fine because I have one as well. So you can start your top five Canadian baseball players of all time. Top five, starting at the five hole. I got podcast, prospect, show, contributor. Friend of the show. Friend of the show, Matt Stairs. Um, had a great career. You know, he's got a famous home run in the playoffs. Um was a hired gun, man. He hit he hit some home runs. I think stairs he ended up with two hundred and eighty two uh, career home runs, two hundred sixty five career home runs. Hit two sixty two. Um, Owns the record for most pinch hit home runs of all time in Major League Baseball. Really cool record to have. So so stairs he's in my five and really great dude. Uh, got to spend some time with him uh, during our All Star the WCBL All Star game here that we hosted in right. Edmonton. 
Um, had a chance to sit down with them for a little bit and then also had a chance to take some of um, our prospects players that were in the game into the cage and work with Matt Stairs a little bit. So that was really great. He, a great dude there. Um, he's my number five. Number four, made a little switch. I know we talked about this last night. I'm going to switch it up on you. Um, I can't ignore how good Justin Morneau was. Uh, 247 home runs, hit 281, got an MVP. Um, as Cody Andrichuk pointed out, uh, you won a derby against Hamilton. Uh, kind of similar to the way this derby played. Oh, Hamilton put on the show this year's derby. Hamilton put on the, the, the huge show, and Morneau ends up winning it. Ala, you know, Vladdy Guerrero puts on this huge show, and, and Pete Alonzo wins it this year. Um, Morneau's got uh, 27, a, a war of 27. I, I follow war. It's a, it's a fantasy stat. It's a, kind of a career stat. Your wins above replacement. Um, so can you explain the stat for for people that are unfamiliar to it? So how it works is they take the average, uh, you know, they, they compile these numbers, and, and the average Major League Baseball player has these numbers. The, you know, all the top guys, the bottom guys, this is the average. Like a 245 average yeah, or something like yeah, that. exactly. Or, you know, 17 home runs, something like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, they calculate your season uh, compared to that, and that creates the war. So a guy like Mike Trout's putting up like 9 or 10 win war so he's worth 10 wins above compared to another an guy who would play his position yeah. the average at uh at at outfielder yeah. yeah um so yeah i mean trout's the gold standard he's got he a is. higher career war than Derek jeter does mm-hmm. and jeter played 10 more years so and you can go back in history and look at yeah. like ty cobbs wins yeah, exactly. above replacement babe ruth it's that's the beautiful thing about baseball is the it's, history it really is and now the, the players have changed the ballparks have changed. The ball, like a lot of that has changed, but you can compare statistics with. That's uh, a good point. And, and war, war helps uh, satisfy that change because it's against your peers. That's right. You know, it, uh, it, it's at the time, your war in your era. Mm-hmm. Um, so Morneau had a really good war, uh, you know, middle of the order bat, uh, that, that sweet swinging lefty Canadian stroke, man. Like that's how we do it up here is the, there's the, the productive left-handed bat. So, I've got Morneau in my four spot. Uh, we will move on. And then in the in the three spots, I've got the maybe a little bit more crucial, Joey Vado. Okay. Kind, kind of, uh, he's, he's funny, but he's also, he can also kind of be that guy that doesn't give you a good interview or kind That's of right. screws around he's with the He's got a bit of an edge. Yeah, a little bit you there. Know, he, you know, I, this, and, and I'm saying this uh, as a compliment because he's not a full, he's not Sean yeah. Avery. Yeah. But he no, can yeah. be a bit of a dick if he wants to in a funny kind of way. Does that yes. make sense? Is yes, that, it does. And, yeah. and, and I like that about him. He's not just your cookie cut. Um, he's got his own personality. He, he's got his own demeanor. Um, and he's got his own program of how he's developed into you know, one of the one of the great hitters of his of his time. I mean, he's put up some unbelievable numbers. Uh, he's got a 60 career war, which is pretty solid. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's got a few more years left in his career. You know what the coolest thing about Joey Votto is? This year, he popped out to first base for the first time in his career. Uh, it, it, That's amazing. Uh, like, it is that, amazing. It's, it's, it's a typical weird baseball stack. <laughs> yeah. But... It says, have, like, it says something about how, it. How many years has Joey Votto been... Uh, like when I'm trying to f- think of uh, uh, like Joey Votto years, Oh seven, he broke in as a 23 year old. He's 35 yeah. now. And so since 2007, Joey Votto has popped up to first base once in his career. 
You know, 7,300 plate appearances. Like, I, I don't know <laughs> if you would call that a skill. It's kind of more just a weird stat, but. Uh, it's a skill. Like, he's purposefully not allowing that to happen in his at-bat. So the way he approaches hitting the baseball, um, his approach uh, as he's decided will dictate that that doesn't that's not a result but that happens he's not going up to plate saying don't pop no. up to first no it's like he's truth. not thinking no. to, to, it's just amazing <laughs> i'm it's, gonna set this record <laughs> i'm gonna keep this right but it is amazing that it just never happened because uh of his bat control right so joey Votto's number three for you yeah a, a gold glove six-time all-star mvp 284 home runs he's my number three my number two and this is tough c- kind of tough kind of not tough um, Larry Walker's in the two hole, 72 career war, 383 home runs, you know, former expo, which really is a happy thing for me. I remember him as an expo. I love the expos. He's I got, love that he wore 33 Yeah, he's, and he's, he's a goalie. Yeah. The old goalie. You know, like, isn't that amazing? <laughs> like the, the great story about Larry Walker is he gets cut from the Regina Pats, comes home, throws his equipment into the corner and decides to take up baseball. I'm going to swing it. <laughs> you know, like not that he wasn't Let's like he did play a little bit of baseball, but yeah. just an amazing story. It is. It's a really cool story. You know, career three thirteen batting average, seven gold gloves, five time All Stars, got an MVP. Um, you know, he was a five tool guy in right field. Um, I'm really hopeful that he gets in the Hall of Fame. I think this is his last year to to be enshrined. Um, as far as players that I remember watching in that era, there there. You know, Griffey, Bonds, yeah, okay. And then you got some kind of ridiculous home runs by a couple guys that were going on. As far as baseball players, you know, in my mind, if Craig Biggio's a Hall of Famer, like Larry Walker's a Hall of Famer. You know, some of these guys that, that are and in the Hall of And that's not a slight on Biggio. That's a compliment to Larry Walker, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, Biggio had 3,000 hits. Walker doesn't have that. He's got 2,100. Um, but... Seven-time Gold Glove, five-time All-Star. He's got the MVP. Uh, the three thirteen career batting average is, is is pretty special too. That's a very high career batting average. You know he could steal bases too. Uh, he had two hundred thirty stolen bases in his career. You know drove in runs left and right. He had thirteen hundred RBIs. Um, you know career on base percentage of four hundred. You know and, and a nine sixty five career OPS. So. Without getting into the uh, argument of Larry Walker, he's my number two Canadian of all time. And my number one, um, which was an easy call because of, of of what he's done and what he's meant to Canadian baseball, it's Ferguson Jenkins. Mm-hmm. You know, dude had how many? Let's see here. Two, four, six, 720 win plus seasons. Um, had 25 wins. Um, <laughs> a bunch of all-star games. He, he was... Always in the Cy, or let's see where he was top, top five in the Cy Young, like four or five times, um, won the Cy Young. Unfortunately, pitched for the Cubs back when they had no chance to ever get in the playoffs or do anything there. But, you know, 4,500 innings, pitched in the big leagues, 3,100 strikeouts, Hall of Famer, um, really special. And it, it's a guy that's revered, you know, a guy that, that was the first to do it for our country. Um, Fergie Jenkins, my number one Canadian of all time, Dino. All right. That is a uh, a really good list. And uh, I will throw mine down now, starting with my uh, honorable mention. And this is hard to do um, because I'm giving props to a guy from Saskatchewan. But Terry Poole from Melville, <laughs> Saskatchewan, uh, broke into Major League Baseball in 1977. 
um, was part of uh, some pretty good Astros teams. Uh, I remember him from RBI baseball. Um, you know, the Astros that year in 86 lost to the Mets in the in the playoffs. They had a pretty good team. I think they won almost like 95 games. By then, he was a uh, uh, platoon backup guy. Yep. Uh, I think Kevin Bass was their oh, uh, yeah. the right fielder <laughs> back in the day. But, you know, Poole was a guy who didn't hit a lot of home runs, had a couple of 30 stolen base seasons, and just kind of cool that a... Uh, uh, a Canadian uh, that I that I could uh, look up to. So that's my honorable mention. Uh, number five, I'm going with uh, Eric Gagne, uh, who you had uh, chatted about. Uh, and just, you know, Eric Gagne for most of his career was below average. Would You know, yeah. like he was okay. Kind of a middling starter. Yeah, like he was okay. And then the, the Dodgers were like, all right, you know, we're going to take you and uh, – uh, like the you know the 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 Braves did with John Smoltz for a little bit, right? Uh, we're going to turn you into a closer. Yeah, he had 52 saves, then 55, then 45. All three of those years, so that was 02, 03, 04. He finished with 82 and a third inning, yeah. <laughs> 84 consecutive save opportunities. Um, That's so lights out. When Eric Gagne was taking the mound, th- this is basically what Dodger fans were thinking: victory. And then this is <laughs> what the. Uh, pretty much what the opposition uh, was going through their mind. Like it was game over. It was uh, game with, over. With Eric Gagne uh, during that well, stretch. That's Cy Young's season that he had in as 03. a closer. Um, gave up 37 hits in 82 innings. <laughs> he walked 20 guys and struck out 137. Like those really are video game numbers. He had a .6, well, I guess .7 whip. And a 15 strikeout to walk ratio, like 15. Like mm-hmm. You're a really good guy at three to one. Mm-hmm. You know, like Verlander's five or six to one kind of thing. He's 15. Yeah. Unreal. So uh, number four for me is uh, Joey Votto. Uh, Mr. I don't pop up to first base ever. Uh, as you mentioned, he was an all-star six times. Uh, he was the NL MVP in 2010. Now, this is really uh, interesting to me because Justin Morneau, and I'm going to get to him on my list in a second, uh, he won the MVP in 06. Um, And that year, he didn't win the Lou Marsh because of uh, the Olympics. Sidney Klassen won it. But there was also an Olympics in 2010. It was a pretty big moment in Canadian history. Yeah, kind of a big deal there in 2010 in Vancouver. <laughs> you know what I mean? And Joey Votto won the, so what made, you know, Cindy Clausen won multiple medals at the, at the Olympics. So maybe that's what pushed her over the, the edge for, uh, to winning against Morneau. Um, you know, Sidney Crosby scored a pretty big goal, but Joey Votto was MVP. Well, on like the Bilodeau on the, on the moguls and Charles, yeah. Charles Amalé. Yeah. In speed skating, there was a there was a lot a of, lot of uh, stories in Van- uh, stories in Vancouver. So for Joey Votto to win in 2010, um, I think that's uh, pretty big. Uh, so anyway, yeah, y- you mentioned the the numbers with uh, Joey Votto. I don't have to really uh, uh, go over them uh, a whole lot more. Uh, but uh, Joey Votto won the Lou Marsh Award twice. He won it in 2010, and he won it a couple years ago in uh, 2017. Um, also a gold glove. So Joey Votto is uh, my uh, number four. And I'm going with Justin Morneau as number three. Um, I don't know why. 
I don't know. I really don't know why I'm going with Justin Morneau over Joey Votto. Um, I, I honestly, I like he was he was an MVP. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of similar players. They, they, I, I guess they are. They're kind of interchangeable. So, um, you know, I I don't know. Maybe uh, I I don't. I can definitely say I, I watched more Justin Morneau than I have Joey Votto, and, and maybe that's why. But, you know, like when you look at Justin Morneau, it's, there's not really a slight four-time All-Star MVP in 06, twice won the Silver Slugger, uh, NL batting champion in... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, or sorry, yeah, in uh, 2014. Um, you know, it's... Uh, that was NL. It was yeah, it was. Colorado. It was with, uh, with, with Colorado. I thought so, yeah. Um, but anyway, this is a guy who, uh, I, I thought, uh, was just a, a candidate to hit a home run a lot. Oh, for sure. So I mean, Morneau was dangerous bat and, um, 247 career home runs and a pretty decent 281 batting average. Uh, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't a guy that was going to, uh, hit 370 for you. Like he wasn't Tony Gwynn. But he had pretty good power numbers. Yeah, he's he's a good player, man. You know, his career was cut short a little bit there with yeah, the concussion stuff for sure. And as I mentioned, Cindy Klassen, uh, she only won uh, a gold, two silvers, and two bronze. So that's why she was the Lou Marsh uh, winner that year. Uh, okay, so number two, uh, Ferguson Jenkins, and and you talked about um, you know Fergie stats and uh, the the amount of uh, the amount of great things he did paving the way for future Mornos or uh, Sorokas or Jeff Francis, as uh, Cody was mentioning, right? Well, Fergie um, Jenkins had a career 1.14 whip. I mean, that career, that's 19 years. Like, that whip is... That's amazing, man. It is. It really and is. he won the Lou Marsh Award in uh, 1974 as well. Um, you know, he played for a number of different teams. I think six teams he played for uh, in the uh, uh, Major League Baseball. Won the Cy Young in 71. Uh, the year he won the Lou Marsh, he led the league in wins, 71 and 74. Uh, led the league in strikeouts in 69. Uh, the Cubs retired his jersey, and obviously he's in the Hall of Fame. So that leads me to my number one, and it's pretty obvious who that's going to be, and that's uh, Larry Walker. I, I just love the story, too. Uh, I'm done with hockey. I'm playing baseball now full-time, and uh, I'm going to become, in my opinion, the greatest Canadian baseball player of all time. 49, 49 home runs, 130 RBIs in 97. There's a great documentary uh, that TSN uh, did uh, on for the Engraved of the Nation of that 97 Lou Marsh, Jacques Villeneuve, Larry yeah. Walker. Yeah, really good. It's really good. And the, I, before I was totally Larry Walker, after watching that, I'm still Larry Walker, but not as much. I respect a whole lot more about what Jacques Villeneuve did. Um, but, you know, Larry Walker uh, with the Expos, certainly his career took an uptick when he got to Colorado. I'm, I'm not denying that, but he was pretty good before as a Montreal Expo. Uh, you know, he didn't hit the 30 home run mark until he got to uh, Colorado. So certainly there was a boost, um, but it was pretty good in the field too. So gold, yeah, gold glove type caliber player. I mean, he was a little bit younger too with uh, with the Expos. He's so. twenty two years old when he broke in, and uh, what what do you think is like? He gets to Colorado, he gets traded. He's twenty eight years old. Is that kind of like the the peak 
time for yeah, a baseball player yeah, 28 they, years they old. They say 27 is your so, yeah. is your prime. So, so he gets into his prime and then you know but he was still pretty good before but then he gets into his prime uh, you add in the the altitude and it's a it's a recipe for hitting almost 50 home runs. And for me this guy needs to get into the uh, Hall of Fame. So let's start the campaign. Yeah. Let's get this going. Larry Walker needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Not just for one season. He's got a career OPS of 965. I mean, that's Hall of Fame territory. Uh, he was a five-tool guy, could steal bags. He did, yeah. Absolute cannon in right field. Played Still 29 goal. bags with the uh, Expos in his uh, final full season. Uh, well, his final full healthy season that he played in uh, in Montreal. And then 33 in his, uh, like, that, that. you're hitting 49 home runs and 33 stolen bases? 30-30 guy. We talk about them in the big leagues right now. Almost They're, a 50-30 guy, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. You know, the, <laughs> he did it all, man. Um, this is going to be this is going to be one of those uh, campaigns to get Larry in. We now need- we'll see if it happens. It should happen for sure. All right, that's going to wrap things up for us on the show today. Uh, we really enjoyed Great the uh, conversation with uh, Cody Andrechuk and getting a look into. Uh, what uh, college ball is like and the relationship between college teams and a college league like the Western Canadian Baseball League. We did our top five Canadians of all time. And um, I don't know, what do you think uh, by next week? What matchup do you think we'll have? Um, Oh, I I, actually, I did have something I was going to ask you. So tomorrow, Major League Baseball is playing twice. Do you think they do that because they don't want, like in baseball, you're almost playing every day. So your pitchers, like if your pitcher gets too much rest, he might not be as sharp. Paul too. Paxton it, suffered from that. Okay. So 90s. is that why baseball does their schedule? Like, like they don't have, in hockey, it's like one series this night. Then when you get down to the final four in that series, because you're taking days off. Do they do this in baseball, do you think, because you don't want to disrupt the schedule of the, the rotation? Is that why we see afternoon games? Yeah, the week. I, I would think so. Um, you don't want to have both games on at once because uh, then you got to make a choice. They want to they lock the viewers in. Um, yeah, except you know, for when they're four and they're overlapping a bit. Yeah, yeah when you can like, choose. Like the two. networks decide everything. Okay, so it's not based on pitchers. It's, it, it is. Like the, now, like the network decides, but this is where, these are your options. You know, and they, they exactly, they keep the integrity of the pitching staff in, in play here. Um, that's the integrity of the game. You know, and, and if that weren't the case, then, then we'd be talking about a whole different topic of what the heck is going on. You need to keep the games within the, the right parameters for rest, 100%. Um, and having too much rest isn't a good thing either. Mm-hmm. It, they're used to playing every day. And, That's what I mean, yeah. Well, and we don't have a ton of time here either. Like, let's, you know, we got to get the season over at yeah. some point too, right? Game seven of the World Series uh, will be played October 30th, uh, if indeed... Uh, there is a, a game seven of uh, the World Series. So by next Monday, will either or both of these series be, uh, w- what teams do you think they'll be wrapped up? I'm trying to think of. Well, I mean, the Nats, for the Cards to come back and win four games out of the next uh, five, is basically where, no, four out of the next, they got well, they got five games left, they got to win four of them, yeah. so basically. So they're... <laughs> It's going to be tough to do with seeing Strasburg probably twice and Scherzer again and Corbin. Uh, so Nats move on. This, I mean, this Astros-Yankees for me was, uh, that's a six or seven game series. I, I like the Yankees bullpen, man. 
Um, game I, seven would be Sunday, I think. For for Yankees the AL. I'll, I'll take the Yankees. So you're going to see a Yankees Nationals. By next Monday. Yep. All right. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks very much. Uh, we'll chat. We'll, we'll chat with you on. Actually, I don't have a show this Friday. Okay. So uh, you got Friday off. Oh, perfect. So we'll uh, chat with you again a week from now. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Dino. Ban the shift. It's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game. This is the prize.